Travel Growth Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Travel Growth Podcast. I'm Tom McLaughlin, founder of SEO Travel, and this is where I speak to successful travel business leaders and dig into the successes, challenges and learnings from their experiences over the years. So you, the listener, can take away actionable advice to enhance your own businesses and maybe even lives too. My guest today is Peter Banks. Peter is the managing director at Rudding Park, a privately owned luxury hotel with destination spa, two golf courses and conference and event space in Harrogate up in southern Yorkshire. He's been at the helm of Rudding since the beginning, overseeing the launch and a raft of updates and improvements over the years that have led to Rudding winning award after award. I've got a strong personal connection to the place with my brother having got married there and I also have been a very happy customer after many visits to the hotel and the spa. So it was fascinating to sit down and speak to the man behind it all to try and uncover some of the secrets to its success. And boy, does Peter deliver. He's a hugely entertaining storyteller and unsurprisingly has some very illuminating experiences to draw on after a long career in hospitality. From behind the scenes antics at hotels in London to the behaviour of the general public, he's got plenty of material to draw on. We talk in depth how to build a culture of care and very practical actions that you can take to do that in your own team and businesses. That goes from the recruitment process all the way through to the day-to-day management. There's so much stuff in there that is hugely practical that you can you can dive in on and literally live for yourself. We also cover Peter's thoughts on how Rudding approaches its brand, why cash is everything, and some fascinating insight into how TripAdvisor works and what Rudding did in the past to gain success there after Peter spoke directly to them about how the system works. Whether you're an established hotelier, you work in hospitality, or you just run a business in the travel sector, I think you'll find this one fascinating. I did simply as someone who just uses hotels, so it's a pretty low bar for enjoyment. Um, This one is quintessential Yorkshire from top to bottom, with Peter even getting delivered a cup of tea during, during the conversation. So... Put the kettle on, relax, and enjoy me talking to Peter Banks. Peter, welcome to the show. Hello, Sam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, as a regular visitor to Rudding and having had uh, yeah some some family experiences like my brother's wedding there, um, I'm a big fan of the place. And yeah, it's a, a pleasure to to have you on and find out a little bit more about behind the scenes and what makes the what makes the kit the wheels keep turning um so yeah really excited to learn more about what what's you know what's made the the place a success and obviously you've been there for the yeah the full stretch so looking forward to digging yeah. into, into 20, that. 25 years man and boy <laughs> so tell us before we get into the running stuff can we go right back to the start and tell us how you got into hospitality and and yeah kind of where, where your first taste was yeah, sure. I um, I uh, I didn't work very hard at school, um, and um, uh, and the uh, the careers master told me. Um, he actually said to me, Banks. He didn't like me very much, by the way. Uh, and he said, uh, Banks. He said, I suggest you do something um, uh, with your mouth rather than your brain. Try hotels. <laughs> um, now uh, he was actually. Ah, oh, here's my tea. Marvelous. Just pop it down there, mate. Thank you. Um, uh, and he was um, he was actually um, wrong because I actually ended up getting ABC at A level because I, I worked really hard for six weeks. Um, uh, so I could have actually gone to any university uh, in the country apart from Oxford and Cambridge. Um, but um, thanks, man. It's good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
but uh, uh, by then I'd seen a sign on the careers notice board saying um, Savoy Management Training Scheme, two E's. And I thought, fantastic, even a thing <laughs> like me can get two E's. Um, so I, uh, I went up to London, um, dressed in my dodgy cheesecloth suit, and um, uh, we got showed around the Savoy. And uh, I still remember to this day being in the Savoy kitchen. Uh, and it's like being at the um, in the, the centre of a of the engine room of, a, of an ocean going liner. And uh, there were all the chefs and massive, great big, big white hats in those days. Those big white paper hats. And uh, and they were shouting over the microphone. It was all in French. Savoy, on voyage, you know. And um, uh, we chef, come in now. Uh, and, uh, and this food would appear from sort of all the different sections. Uh, and then these incredibly glamorous um, Italian waiters, because they were all Italians in, in the mid-80s. Um, you know, dark hair, flashing brown eyes, um, amazing smiles, um, all dressed in sort of black tailcoats. And they come gliding through. They were so cool, these guys. They didn't actually walk. They glided through these swing doors. Uh, into this maelstrom of noise, picked up the uh, the food and then glided back out again. And we followed them out, and um, and then you went from this absolute bedlam into the Thames foyer where there was the string quartet playing, and it was all just so cool. And I just got seduced by the glamour of um, Grey Hotel. Nice. And so how long how long were you there? What did you what did you do? What did you do? What was the what was the management course? Uh, five years in total. I did every single job uh, under the sun. <clears throat> my um, my first experience was as uh, as a meat porter. So uh, the Savoy Company at those times was uh, the Savoy, Claridge's, the Barclay, the Connaught, Simpsons in the Strand, and Wilson's, a, a small restaurant on German Street. And we centralised all of the meat purchasing. So we used to go to Smithfield Market in the morning and uh, we would at four o'clock in the morning uh, and, and the, the meat buyer for the Savoy would order, uh, you know, I mean, so many, you know, I don't know 50 lambs and, uh, and 80 loins of ribs of beef or whatever it was, you know, so many half pigs and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they would then get delivered to the Savoy Meat Department, which was in the covered way underneath the Savoy. It's called Savoy Way. If you ever walk down there now, you can just go down. And um, it literally goes underneath the Savoy Hotel. Uh, and there, were, uh, there was a butcher's shop there. There were four permanent butchers just chopping stuff up. And I turned up at seven o'clock in the morning, um, uh, dressed in my oldest jeans, my oldest trainers, and the dodgiest jumper, and um, uh, proceeded to throw meat around uh, for five weeks, and proceeded to get beaten up by the uh, the Irish meat porter stab, whose principal aim in life seems to be to see if he can make the management trainee leave. Before... <laughs> um, and uh, and he was colluded in this by uh, by the. Uh, uh, by the management of this place who used to say, Stan, take the trainee down the fridges and beat him up, will you? <laughs> um, so that was um, that was a particular pleasure. Um, uh, and then I went on to do um, uh, fruit and veg portering, 
which was exactly the same, but we go to Covent Garden and um, uh, and you purchase uh, um, you purchase all of the fruit and veg for all of the hotels and restaurants. Um, then I was a waiter, a barman, a chef. I did a bit of housekeeping. I did some uh, switchboard. Um, oh, what else did I do? Oh, I was an electrician. That was dangerous. Uh, uh, plumber. Um, so even to this day, I could still plumb in a loo um, or a basin, um, thanks to the skills I learned there. Um, uh, and I'm particularly good at unblocking drains. That seems to be the trainee's job. Um, uh, receptionist, uh, worked in the cashier's office, uh, accounts, food and beverage control, and finally reception. So right. I did everything. Yeah. So you did your five. You did your five years there. Five what years. Prom- what prompted? What prompted leaving? Where did you? Where did you go next? Uh, it was strange. They um, uh, they'd invest all this time, and uh, and then uh, they, it was dead men's shoes. There was never. There was very very rarely was there an opportunity to um, uh, to step into a management position. So I then went to um, the Old Course Hotel in St Andrews, uh, and went to work for a um, an ex. Um, Manager from the Savoy, a fellow called Peter Crow, who was, he's one of the best hoteliers I've ever worked for. Um, and he was the guy who um, taught me the um, the adage that I try to live by here and try to get all of the team here to live by, that um, uh, we need to look after our guests at the hotel as if they were our guests at home. And if we do that, actually, 999 times out of 1,000, you'll, um, you'll get it right. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I, I worked up there. When I say worked, I, I use the phrase fairly loosely. I, um, I, I played a lot of golf and drank a lot of beer. Um, uh, and, uh, and I was there for two and a half years. And that was fantastic. Uh, I then returned to London uh, and worked at the Hilton on Park Lane. Okay. Uh, three and a half years. Uh, I was front office manager there. Um, at the end, I, I went there as... Um, sort of reception supervisor, then assistant reception manager, then reception manager, then assistant front office manager, and then front office manager. Um, so I was responsible for, the, for looking after the 454 bedrooms um, that were there. And uh, it was an absolute zoo. Uh, it was a crazy place. I mean, absolutely crazy. Uh, it taught me... Um, the Savoy and St Andrews had taught me quality. Um, the Hilton taught me how to make money. If you didn't make cash, um, you could be manager of the month one month, and you didn't make a profit next month. You're out. You're in. Um, it was owned by Labrooks at the time, and um, they were hard, hard taskmasters. Uh, and um, uh, how long I, did you last there? Then dare I ask? I, I, last, <laughs> I lasted three and a half years. Um, it was. Um, uh, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> I, used to, I used to catch the tube in, and I come up the um, uh, come up the, uh, the the tube station from Hyde Park Corner Tube. I walk round and I sort of look up, and every morning I'd be disappointed that the hotel had burnt down. <laughs> That's Excellent. how much I didn't like it by the end, yeah. but I. But I learned an awful lot, um, and I had some great times there. You know, we had um, uh, there was one, one wonderful time. 
we had um, all the Miss World contestants were staying with us. And um, uh, uh, <laughs> whether the fire alarm went off in the middle of the night deliberately or whether it was just by accident, I'm not sure. And um, uh, and all these scantily clad Miss Worlds, and I'm, I'm the late duty manager, all these scantily clad Miss Worlds are coming down and the lifts are just disgorging all these beautiful people. And um, uh, I'm trying to herd them into what was St George's Bar on the left-hand side of the uh, of the, the lobby as we go out, um, because of course all our very all our very keen male guests were yeah. definitely trying to get <laughs> telephone numbers and throw money at them and all of the rest of it. And I was trying to keep away. No, gentlemen, no, you yeah. can't. Ladies, in there. <laughs> It was fun, but uh, a, tough, a tough job. But someone's yeah. got to do it. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> um, and so, so in terms of you, you, you talk about it at a zoo. Like, how did you, and, and and clearly not necessarily, and you know, not every night was a Miss World night. What? <laughs> how did the like the culture? It sounds like didn't didn't match compared to the first two that you did. The you culture, did like that. Uh, uh, the culture didn't match with me at all. I am. Um, the general manager was, he was an incredible hotelier um, and he could make a PL absolutely dance. He was fantastic. Uh, but his culture was extremely hard nosed. Um, and uh, he said to me, Peter, you're never going to get respected until you've sacked somebody. Um, and I, I thought that wasn't necessarily the, uh, yeah. the correct way to go. Yeah. The fact that I've had to sack God knows how many people um, uh, in my career um, still doesn't make it the right thing to do. Yeah. I still feel bad for the most part, um, apart from people who steal. Um, uh, I still feel bad uh, about um, about saying goodbye to people. Yeah. yeah. Some humanity, I think. So was that the was that the point that you? Came up to Rudding. Yeah, how, it was. How, yeah. how did that come? How did that come about? Yeah, I saw an advert in the caterer um, for um, which is the, the hospitality industry trade mag. Um, <clears throat> saw an advert for an opening. Now Rudding had been open for ten years as a non-residential conference banking venue. It had been from eighty-seven to ninety-seven as a non-residential conference banking venue, okay. and um, uh, they were building a hotel and they needed a hotel manager to uh, to open it. And as a hotelier, uh, which for my sins I am, uh, you very rarely get the chance to uh, to do an opening. And you especially don't get the chance to do an opening for a private independent hotel. Yeah. Um, where the family weren't hoteliers. Uh, so I came in and I literally had a blank piece of paper um, to be able to devise how we um, how we look after guests um, and how how to keep a hotel room. So yeah. um, it was a great opportunity, fantastic opportunity. Yeah. 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 And since you've come in, obviously the hotel's grown grown in many senses in terms of the, the, the way the yeah the buildings and all the things that you've got yeah, in terms I of mean, what we, you offer. Yeah, when I, when I started in ninety six we had um uh, we were returning over a couple of million quid. Um we'll now do 
25 million this year. Uh, I, I turned up to open the hotel, um, but it was it was still being built. You know, there were still builders all over it and all the rest of it. Uh, so <clears throat> I had to buy everything, I had to employ all the staff, set the budgets, all of the rest of it. Um, uh, and that was great fun, really, really good fun. And that was a three and a half million pound job. Uh, the house and the hotel, which um, you will know, but for, for those listeners who don't, um, the, the house is the old part of the house. Um, it dates from 1825, and the hotel obviously was built in 97. The style is exactly the same. Mm. The stone had to come from the same quarry, so uh, so it, it looks very seamless, But because uh, it's Grove One listed, the original house. But they didn't used to be connected, so we connected the two buildings up, um, uh, which from a management perspective was fantastic. It was only separated by 50 yards of courtyard, but the culture in one part of the, the business and a cult, the culture in the other part of the business was so disparate until we connected two buildings up. Mm-hmm. We connected them up and um, uh, and it's mu- it was much, much easier to manage. So that was a million pound job and we did an extension to the restaurant. Uh, we then... Um, did the uh, short, and then we did another extension to the restaurant in 2006 uh, when uh, we um, uh, when we, we took the capacity in the dining areas to 180 because we knew in the fullness of time we were going to build, go up to 90 bedrooms. And one of the things that drives me mad about hotels is having to queue for breakfast. It doesn't matter how many glasses of orange juice you give me while I'm queuing, I'm still queuing for breakfast. I don't want to do that when I've just paid 350 quid a night. Um, so we built that in 2006. That was another million pounds. We uh, extended the Golf Academy and built the short course um, in addition to a big course which had been built in 93. So that was another million pounds in 2008. We then added another 40 bedrooms, or 48 bedrooms, but a net 40 bedrooms to take us to 90 bedrooms. We opened them in 2010. And then we uh, started work in 2015 on the spa, and we opened the spa in 2017. Uh, takes us up to date where we are now. Yeah, nice. And and it's obviously been super super successful. You've won plenty of awards uh, over that period. Uh, the Hotel Spa of the Year from AA in 2019, 2020. Independent Hotel of the Year, the KT Awards 2019, Hotel of the Year, Visit England Awards for Excellence 2018. They were just a few that I picked out, but there were many more. What's What are the ingredients behind the success? Um, uh, wow. Um, there is a... In hospitality, there are, we're, we're not making widgets. Um, we don't put a block of metal in, in a machine and it then it goes goes through and then spews out widgets or paper clips at the other end. Um, there are a thousand different ways to make or lose money every single day. Um, and you need to be pulling all of those strings all of the time. Uh, it feels like you're spinning plates constantly. Um, we see about half a million people a year through the doors and of those half a million people on average let's say on average um, there are 10 touches and by touches I mean 
when the porter says hello or the reservationist says how many people do you want to have for dinner uh, or the spa therapist gives you a massage or whatever it is all of those are touches so let's say on average there are 10 touches per guest um, some have less you know some have more if somebody's just coming for a game of golf and they don't go for a pint then there's only one touch when they come in to register but literally when somebody comes in for the restaurant they may well have 15 different touches um, so let's say on average there are 10 touches multiplied by the half a million people that's five million opportunities for um my and it's always my lowest paid members of staff to say something and i can't check it this isn't a production line where i can get a supervisor at the end saying mm, that doesn't look quite right we'll send that one back again once that member of staff said it it's gone it's out there five million opportunities to um to screw up um five million opportunities to say to somebody who's bringing you two hundred and fifty thousand pounds no you can't have that because the rules say this and that is the sort of those five million opportunities to screw up for Captain Cockup to come to stay. That's what keeps you awake at night. Yeah. Uh, so how do you stop that? You try to create a culture, um, a culture of care, um, where I don't mind if my team make mistakes. Um, uh, what I can't stand, can't abide, and can't allow is if they um, don't care. They have to care for their stuff. They have to care for their guests. Um, so in there, of course, is actually me having to love them. Um, and <clears throat> it's the, the other part of it, of course, is the money side. So you've got guests, staff, and cash. And those are really the three pillars of, of what, what it's built. So the mantra I always try to live to is you've got to care for your guests, you've got to love your staff, and you've got to watch every penny. Um, and if you do that, then hey, the rest is easy. Yeah, yeah, amazing. That what? How do you get to go more granular on that kind of culture piece? Then how do you how do you go about that on a in getting the right people in the first place? In like when they're on board, like what yeah. what do you do that that embeds that in the team? So um, we employ on. Um, we don't employ on skill. Um, we employ on attitude. Um, I can tell. I can teach somebody how to check a guest in. You know, it's not particularly difficult um, how to check a guest in. Um, of course, stuff like therapist. You know, they need to be. They need to do their three years at the college. But um, but for the majority of my jobs, um, we can train them how to do it. Uh, we can't train them how to have a decent attitude and we can't train them how to care. So we look for that at interview um, uh, through behavioural interviewing and, and I run, I've just run another couple of behavioural interviewing courses um, which uh, you know gives my guys who are, who are doing the interviewing some tips in how to look for it, uh, what messages people are sending across. Uh, then we have... Um, Can you share any of them? Um, Those tips. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's you ask you. You have to ask um, 
uh, W question. So I've got a stock load of 10 questions. Um, and they're open W questions that will not allow the interviewee to say yes or no. Um, so uh, tell me about what was your worst guest complaint? Okay, nice big open job. And then you funnel down like this. And so they tell you about the worst complaint and then you say, so what did you do? So what did you do shows you how they reacted. Uh, and what was the result? which shows you, was it successful? How did you feel? Shows you actually, you know, how they felt, what they feel inside. What would you do differently? What did you change? All of those sorts of things will give you, give you clues. And eventually you funnel down and down and down and down and down until you've got to the essential truth of that person. Mm. Um, and I say to them, you mustn't let them off the hook. It's like a boxing match, right? You jab, 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 bang! Don't let them off the hook. So we actually do some practice interviewing. And when it then comes to the difficult question, the killer punch, they often let them off the hook and go on to another question and say, no, go on, smack them. <laughs> go on, get to the truth of that person. Um, if you have to use silence, um, you ask them a question and they go, mm, that's a good question. And you think, yep, that's why I asked it. And you just sit there, nice and silent, and you just look at them. And eventually they'll break and they'll, uh, they'll say something. I have sat there for about a minute just staring at somebody. <laughs> uh, did the they past. get the job? Uh, <laughs> I think they probably did, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's other behavioral tricks that you can do that, um, uh, you know, whenever you're you want to um when you're sitting in a you're interviewing somebody either doesn't matter interviewing or appraisal or whatever um uh, if you want to be in charge of that conversation sit with your back to the window so that their face is in the light as we know 90 percent of our um, communication is through body language so if they're in the glare of the sunlight uh, and you're not, they don't know what you're thinking because they can't read your face because you're in shadow. You can read everything that they're thinking because they are in the sunlight. Um, so you've already got an advantage uh, straight away, purely from where you're sitting. Love it. Love it. Excellent. I'm interviewing tonight, so I'll, uh, I'll nick some of those for you. <laughs> um, I, I, I heard on the grapevine that you kind of, as part of, you know, moving around in the hotel and seeing what people are doing, you, you ask people how many golf balls they've found that day or how many pieces of cutlery they've picked out the bin and, and things like that. I guess that ties into this as well, the, the it's care. A, it's a constant drip, drip, drip. Um, you, you can't run a hotel from an office. Um, you have to be walking around, talking to the... Uh, talking to the uh, all of the team members um, and when you say to them my word so you found out beforehand so I know that maybe the chap who collects the golf balls um, uh, picks up 20,000 balls a day so it's really powerful when you go to that person and you say 20,000 balls you collected yesterday mate fantastic job brilliant um, so that really personalizes it for them yeah um, 
you know, go into the kitchen, make sure you're not just saying hello to the head chef, make sure you're saying hello to Andre, the kitchen porter, um, you know, and you're pumping fists with him and all the rest of it. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really, really important that um, you give of yourself all of the time yeah. to guests and stuff. Um, it can become quite draining. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's uh, t- like what what does the team look like now? How many how many people are there? And I guess that can't just be you doing that job. That's got to have filtered down <laughs> yeah. to it's, you know management it, and structure. Yeah, it's too big now. We've got over three hundred staff, full time team members now. Um, uh, and I now have um, yeah, I've got a much um, I've got a better structure. Um, than I than I had. I used to have eleven people reporting into me, and that was just too many because even if I was seeing one of them once a week, um, I would only see each of them once every three months. Mm. Uh, and if I want to direct them and all the rest of it, um, not that I'm a control freak, Tom. I hate you. <laughs> um, From one to another, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I. Uh, uh, yeah, I needed to do it more frequently. So I've now, uh, I now have uh, five direct reports, um, uh, and they then have their direct reports. Uh, I'm, uh, I have a few more at the moment because currently I'm looking for an operations director. Um, so I'm actually doing the operations and the management director's role at the moment. But it doesn't matter. I've done it for twenty five years, so I'll just right. until I find the right one. Yeah. And what does your what does your day to day look like then? So, like you say, there's the checking in with the direct reports. Obviously, you know when I'm there, I can see you're doing the rounds and making sure the cogs are the cogs are turning. How, yeah. Yeah. Is, do you have a, a standard routine? Is it changing day to day? Sometime between eight and nine, um, I'll start walking around. I'll go to reception, look at all the reports, and see um, what last night was like and any problems. I'll talk to the guest service guys. Uh, I'll then take a walk through the restaurant and there'll always be um, a regular guest or somebody. So this morning, for example, um, uh, we had um, uh, I had a regular guest who, uh, you know, I stood and talked to for 10 minutes. Um, so it's really important I do that. I then go to the kitchen um, and uh, obviously see morning chefs and all the waiters. I then go to conference of banqueting, wander around there and just generally get a feel. I'm not doing anything. I'm just walking around with sort of social radar. Um, and I can and I can tell when the restaurant is calm. I'm looking that way because that's where the restaurant is. Uh, I can tell when they're calm and when they're not. Um, when the restaurants are calm, the, the staff are walking around like this. Head up, walking around confidently like this, looking at guests. Right when they're in the shit, head down like this <laughs> because the last thing they want is for a guest to catch them in the eye and say, "Oh, can I have this, please?" Because they've already got twenty things to do. Yeah. So I know when the restaurant's in trouble just from how the staff are behaving. Um. Uh, so then I'll go and see the spa. Uh, I'll see the golf. So I'll see the spa manager, the golf manager. Uh, take a trip through the holiday park, which is less important this time of year because they're less busy. But during the summer, it's certainly important to. I walk um, uh, to the golf and around the holiday park in the summer. 
once again so I can get a feeling for what the guests are feeling, um, what's, you know, what the rubbish bins look like, uh, all of, you know, are they overflowing, etc., etc. Uh, then I go up to the sales office uh, and uh, talk to director of commercials, talk to them about, you know, any bookings we've had in, um, uh, any big cancellations. So right now, for example, I've just had 120 cancelled for next Friday, 30 cancelled for next Saturday, and a party of 50 cancelled for um, the week after that. So I know that <clears throat> from that information, I need to ensure that the uh, operations um, manager is uh, keeping an eye on his on his staffing because we haven't got the revenue coming through to pay for those staff. So I'll need to just drop in at some point for a conversation with him. Well, we've had all these cancellations. What have you done with the staffing? And he will have sorted it out. But just to let him know that I'm I'm on, I'm on it. Yeah. Um, so that generally takes an hour and a half. We then have ten o'clock meeting um, where we have uh, we we get all the heads of department for all the departments. They all go through, and we all say this is what's happening. We talk about any VIPs, any um, particular issues, um, and then everyone goes off. And then I have um, a sort of two-hour window where I'll do office stuff or reviews or whatever, or podcasts. Um, uh, and uh, and then I'll wander around at lunchtime, uh, wander through the spa and Horto, uh, the restaurant we've got down in the, in the spa, wander through there at lunchtime and see those uh, that team and the chefs in the kitchen there. Um, I'll um, I'll take a trip through the rooftop spa and have a look uh, and just double check once again, just getting a feeling for what's going on. If I go up there and there are cups everywhere or there's water on the floor, I probably know that actually we need to throw a little bit more resource at it. And so I just set the spa. Um, manager, you know, uh, I think there might just be a little bit of trouble upstairs. You might just want to chuck somebody up there for half an hour. Yeah. Uh, not that that happens very often. Um, because Sarah's very good and she'll kill me. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and then then I have my lunch. Then I do, I've got another two or three hour window where I do office stuff. Uh, after half past on any meetings and that sort of thing after half past five is the best time because I can get a load of emails done for an hour and a half because everyone else has gone home um, uh, and then at 7 seven fifteen, I'll walk back through the F&B areas um, through the, if, if there's a, an event on a conference of banqueting I'll go through there and just see any regular guests and see what's going on there do the same through the restaurant do the same through also and then um, generally Pop yeah. Okay. Right. In a, in a, yeah. Very, very nice. Very nice. And the in a, in amongst that, obviously, there's you know you've kind of had the big the big projects going on. Like where do, where do you get the or how do you go about getting the time for like the bigger thinking, like the yeah the the big the big blue sky stuff that and where does that come from? Like obviously you've got the owners as well. Do the ideas kind of come down from there? Is that you bringing them to the table? How do you create um, the space for that? We work um, work very collaboratively. Um, 
Simon McInnes, the owner, and I have worked. We, we share an office, um, so we work very collaboratively, collaboratively together. Uh, and we're quite fortunate. Um, both of us are change monkeys. Neither of us likes the status quo. Um, if nothing else had happened, I probably would have stayed at Rudding for three years and then moved on. But every three, four, five years, we're always building something mm. new. Um, so that's kept me interested. The, um, so where do the ideas come from? Um, uh, the ideas sometimes come from them. Uh, the ideas sometimes come from me, from just walking. When I walk around, you can see and you can feel what the guests want. So take the rooftop spa, for example. Um, when we built the spa, um, uh, spas were all about wellness, right? It was all about, you know, your auras and all of that stuff. Um, and so we built the rooftop spa, and, and I didn't put a bar up there, right? I foolishly thought we were going to be able to service drinks from the restaurant downstairs. Um, and lo and behold, when we opened, I suddenly realised that loads of people were asking for drinks. This is all. And I just took a step back and I thought, what's going on here? And I looked at what our guests were using that rooftop spa for. And they weren't using it for wellness. They were using it um, to reconnect with friends. Um, this was just a, um, it was a, uh, a really beautiful environment with lovely hot tubs and saunas and all of the rest of it. But they wanted to use it instead of going like they would if they'd gone down the pub or gone, had, a, had a meal in a restaurant. So they wanted to use it for a reconnection. And that meant that actually they wanted to have a drink. Mm. Um, so lo and behold, we then uh, put a bar in up there. Well, it's not really a bar. Well, it is sort of. Anyway, it's all self-served. Yeah. It's, all, it's, all, it's all served. So it's served to your lounges. So you've got, you know, lounges all over this rooftop garden, which you've, if you've ever been to Kensington Roof Gardens, it's, it's, it's a bit like that. Um, and there are lounges all over it. And in the middle of summer, it's like the south of France. And we do lounger service straight to your, straight to your lounge. Uh, and some days we do three thousand pounds worth of revenue um, in prosecco, basically, uh, on that uh, on that rooftop spa. And and I only picked that up because I was out there thinking, oh, look at that, what's happening on that pattern? Mm. Why are they doing that? Um, so yeah, it. The, so quite a lot of the ideas come from talking to guests, talking to staff, um, having the social radar up here, um, and industry knowledge, seeing what everyone else is doing in the industry is important as well. Yeah, cool. And then just get, just going back to um, like the team and the, and the people in the in the team, you. Obviously, you changed one of one of those changes you made. You went from fifty to ninety rooms, and we talked before about how the people that you needed that got you to that kind of first stage of, of the business growth then weren't necessarily the right people to do the next stage. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that and what who who's right for what and kind of what yeah. changes you needed to make? Yeah, it's. Um... There's probably been um, 
there's probably been two big systemic changes. The people who get you from 2 million to 5 million and then from 5 million to 15 million aren't always the people to get you from 15 million to 25 million um, because they can't cope with the scale. Mm. So we had some really, really good people um, who who got us to um, to 5 million and they couldn't cope with the fact that actually now it was more commercial and so they all left. When we then went from 50 to 90 bedrooms, we doubled the size. Ditto, there were some fantastic people in 2010. Um, but they couldn't cope with the scale and size of the business. Uh, and so they left. Um, it's, I, I, I built up enough trust with the team in 2008. 2009 when we were building the hotel um, uh, I was able to sit down with each of them and say um, what are you bringing to the business go away for a week think about it what are you bringing to the business we all know what's going on in the world we know we're investing all this money what are you bringing right now and um, certainly three of those people um, who I still actually count as friends, um, came back to me and said, um, Pete, I'm not right. Mm. I, can't, I can't do it anymore. And um, so they, they went on and found some other stuff, which actually they're much happier doing um, yeah, yeah. than working in a much larger, faster-paced organisation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're going through uh, uh, another one of those changes now with me not having 11 reports only having five reports there's a bit more of that storm in norming and performing um business happening which is um yeah which happens in you know change is uh, is essential in any healthy business yeah and you're right it's not a it's not all about the business is it it's about like the people as well and like re recognizing that it's not right for them i think that's uh you know it's easy to look at it from the from the business side of it and say you're not right for us anymore it's time to shift along but i think it's like finding the alignment between the two and if everyone works it out together then it doesn't need to be a horrible kind of push you know going back to the sacking earlier it's like it doesn't need to be like that everyone just works it out exactly everyone works it out and it might be that there's another role within the organization that is that is better for them yeah you know uh, in which case then you don't want to lose those people um i mean you know we've got a um the, the, one of the big issues we have at the moment is um, obviously in hospitality per se is um, uh, is, is staffing. It's the biggest issue for this year, and um, uh, the hospitality industry had um, before twenty nineteen an average of sixty percent staff turnover. Six out of ten staff leave every year. It's shocking. Um, we had an average of 40% and we were patting ourselves on the back, well done you. Still four out of 10 people leave every year. What are we like? So I've had a, um, uh, we've had a real splurge on, it's not a recruitment crisis. Well, it is a recruitment crisis, but more it's a retention crisis. Yeah. Um, and we as an industry need to accept that we need to retain our team. Um, 
uh, and uh, you know it's it's not like um, I mean you're too young to remember um, the comic strip and um, uh, and five go mad in Dorset, um, but um, uh, obviously the famous five included Timmy the dog, and it's Aid Edmondson and Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders and uh, and, uh, and they're all you know clowning about in. Um, in Dorset, doing spoof Famous Five, and the baddies they're following um, uh, keep throwing poisoned steaks out of the car window. And Timmy the dog keeps eating these poisoned steaks, and uh, and there's a sort of phrase throughout the the, the movie that goes, um, "Oh look, <laughs> Timmy's dead." And they go, oh, we'll get another one, um, and uh, and I think that's really how the hospitality industry has been treating its staff we've all just gone oh well never mind just lost another waiter or oh well another housekeeper's gone oh, or another chef never mind we'll get another one because we've been mainlining on cheap labor yeah principally from europe and that has now been absolutely cut off and uh we're in trouble and we're partly in trouble of our own making um, we should have looked after our teams better uh, we should have paid our, our teams more. Uh, we should have loved them more, um, if we're being honest. Um, we didn't because corporate and financial pressures meant that general managers had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing to make as much money as possible. Otherwise, we'd all be out of a job as well. Mm. Um, so now we've got to have a rapid, rapid reassessment of how we look after our teams. It's uh, and uh, and we need to ask ourselves: Are all of our processes necessary? There's a real buzzword in the industry at the moment, um, or certainly for me, um, is is where it's at is about automating the mundane. Mm. So if something doesn't add any value to guests, why are we doing it with people? If we could do something which doesn't add any value to guests, yeah. with Gene, why aren't we doing it like that? Um, uh, so you know, our we, we've got a camera, an AMPR camera on the um, on the drive. Um, uh, I ask you for your uh, number plate when you uh, when you're on your pre-registration, your pre-arrival registration, Jobby. Um, uh, you put your number plate on there. There's some piece of software that then pings through to the Garmin watch um, that all the porters wear um, that goes, as you drive down, it goes, bang, Tom's arriving. And so then the porter will hopefully come outside and say, Tom, welcome. And you uh, go, oh, my God, how did you know me? Yeah. Uh, uh, but as with everything, um, it slightly falls down once you come to people. Um, so training the staff in that's how it works is a really difficult thing and making sure that they do it every single time because it's gold dust yeah, that yeah. is service gold dust yeah. and oh i can't work the, the watch i don't know i get a bit confused you know and then and then and this drives me really mad and then we do even worse because what we then do is the porter says Tom, welcome. Come on in. And so this is really good. So now you're feeling really special. And the porter takes you up to the reception desk with the receptionist standing behind it and um, uh, and says, 
Tom's checking in and uh, this is Tom and the receptionist goes, are you checking in, sir? And you go, <laughs> no, I'm here to buy some fish. Have you got any nice sea bass? <laughs> of course you're checking in. <sighs> Sorry, channeling my inner battle force. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. I, I guess the in ter- like in terms of that that turnover of staff, like you say, it's, it comes back to everything, doesn't it? Like the training, like all the time you're putting into the training for those things and getting people out of that yeah. uh, process mentality of oh, this is the first thing I say to every single person who turns yeah. up at the, at the desk. Like once they've settled into it, if you've spent that time training, it's just another loss, another money thing that you've lost because you spent all the yeah. time bringing them up to speed. Completely. Um, so. Retention is is key. Yeah, yeah. So we, so we've covered the like the love your staff bit. Go into the care for your guests bit in a little bit more detail. What what in your opinion makes great customer service? There's a great obviously we've covered a great example of it there. Can you expand further um, on on what you think uh, that is? The the most important um, uh, two hours I do a month. Um, and that includes podcast talks. So I'm sorry. Um, I'd like to inch into this piece. The most important two hours I do is um, our induction, where I get all of my new starters and um, we just talk about service. Uh, and I uh, give them two really easy tricks to great service, one of which is treat your guests as if where your guests at home and the second is empathy put yourself in the guest shoes we do a lot of role play we really get into the whole service ethos and i then tie it into um and we we look at other competitors we've got and, and i get them to grade those competitors in in half or zero half or one um and one is one which has good service and good hardware, so good hardware and good software, a good building, clean, etc., etc., and beautiful, and then great service. A half generally is a um, is a beautiful building, um, but um, rubbish service, and a zero is um, is both poor. Um, uh, and and I get them to start thinking about that. Uh, we then go into financial and we then look at how much money uh, everybody uh, each department turns over and then how each department is entirely dependent on each other uh, and then we uh, then I, I finally hit them with the sucker punch where um, I do the maths at the bottom uh, and uh, and of course we have to be we're a proper business where all of our developments are borrowed money so it's all borrowed, and obviously when you borrow money, you have to repay it with interest. And uh, I do a, oh, look, let's pretend we've lost a million pounds here, and then we can't repay that money. That's when the bank manager, uh, who are lovely people when they want to lend you money, but they're all over you like a bad rash when, um, they, uh, when they want it back and you can't pay it, as I know, and you can ask me about that later. Yeah, it's uh, next on the list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I say, you know, they'll, so so actually, where's my easiest way to save money? And our largest um, spend is wages, you know, 8 million quids worth of wages. It's 20, somewhere between 25 and 30 grand a day. 
on wages, before I've opened the doors, before I've boiled the kettle, before I've, I've bought the milk for my cup of tea. You know, £25,000 behind the eight ball every single day. And that while they're there trying to work that out, bloody hell, well, I say, you know, why might this, this figure drop? And they go, oh, poor service. And I go, great, so super. So actually, the essential truth of hospitality business is that poor service threatens your job. And then I pick one of them who's got kids, and I say, look, you know, it's too big a business for me to, to, to see everything that's going on everywhere nowadays. Um, so you all have to have each other's backs. So, so it's your responsibility to ensure that Molly's child is fed today. That is your responsibility. Heavy, heavy weight. Every single time you provide poor service, you're threatening Molly's kids' food. Um, and, uh, and and you literally see the, the penny dropping. Yeah. Poor service doesn't just threaten my job, it might threaten somebody else's job as well. Um, and then it's just a drip, 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 every day. Um, and when you've created a good enough culture, <clears throat> um, somebody who doesn't provide that service, um, uh, that animal is excluded from the herd by the other healthy animal. That animal is excluded from the herd, and it's then my job to put that animal out of its misery. Mm. So often, it is me who spots the poor service providers. Yeah, right. The their team, their, their team members as well. Yeah. So when you know you've got a good culture. So, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the bank managers and uh, yeah, the the them being nice, nice when they want to be nice, and then uh, yeah, it turning on its head at certain times. Tell us, let's go to the the Southwold experience. So you went, you went. To, was it two thousand six? You went to Southwold. Two thousand six. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did a, uh, I, I sort of did. Um, two days of fortnight up here and did, um, I bought my own little uh, restaurant with rooms uh, in, in Southwold High Street in Suffolk. Beautiful, beautiful building. 15th century, uh, James II had stayed there, beautiful targeted ceilings, massive six foot open fires, foot wide elm floorboards, all the rest of it. Um, and it was uh, lovely. Uh, it was uh, really, really good, um, and we won. Uh, we were the first restaurant in the country to uh, put food miles on the menu. I, 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 I could just feel in the zeitgeist of, of what what um, the public wanted. That they wanted to feel that um, the food wasn't being flown in from Peru or Bolivia or wherever. Um, uh, and they wanted it local, so we went pretty hardcore. Uh, I wouldn't buy anything of with more than three figures, so anything more than a hundred miles. I didn't buy radius from Southwold. I didn't buy. So we didn't do scallops. We didn't do smoked salmon. Um, we uh, we if we were to do smoked fish, we'd do smoked sea trout because it came in from Orford Ness. Um, we could do oysters because they came from Colchester. Um, but um, uh, I couldn't do I couldn't do scallops, for example. Um, so uh, we were pretty hardcore about it, uh, and I um, we we set this. It was a closed restaurant, 
we refurbished it. I did most of the work myself with re repainting. Uh, I've got put in the new radiators. We, all the Savoy experience coming yeah, back, pulled, back round. Yeah, pulled all the floorboards up, and you know, every redid the whole place. And um, it was great. And I had real fun for the first six months. Uh, and then I got really bored. Um, it was only 50 seat restaurant, five bedrooms. And um, uh, there's only so many times you can take a seat, a plate of sea bass, and put it in front of somebody and say, you see that sea bass? Three hours ago, it was swimming in the North Sea. Now you're eating. Fantastic. Um, so uh, the uh, Simon, the owner here, said to me, why don't you swap it on its head uh, and do two days of fortnight down there and come back up here full time? So I said, okay, jolly good. Uh, and unfortunately, that was uh, in uh, the back end of 2007 when uh, the world went to pot, uh, when the old financial crisis happened. Uh, and I was with um, uh, a certain bank. I don't know if you want me to name them or not. Um, uh, uh, and uh, they were renowned for having a special needs branch. Uh, I had a... Um, I had a £40,000 overdraft, and I knew that I was going to go two grand over on wage bank. Uh, and uh, I rang the bank manager, a woman called Carol. Um, I still remember the name. Uh, and said, look, I'm going to go two grand over. Can I have another five grand extension to my overdraft? Oh, yeah, 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 you'll be fine. No paperwork. I ring her again. No paperwork. No paperwork. The day before I pay the wages, I ring her and say, look, Carol, I'm really worried. I am going to be two grand over, as I've forecast. I've told you before, can I have the paperwork? She says, oh, just pay them all by check. They all pass over my desk anyway. I'll, uh, I'll just make sure I authorize them all. And, um, uh, and, uh, and that will be all right. Um, uh, that was on the Friday. On the Monday, Carol had gone. Um, uh, my checks were bouncing all over town. Uh, I'd broken the covenants because of course I'd gone over my overdraft limit and written checks um, over my overdraft limit and so this darling bank said we'll have our money back uh, in three months please uh, because I had a £300,000 mortgage on it and it was worth £750 um, they would have done a fire sale, they would have taken £500 I would have lost £300,000 of my own money um, I managed to survive just uh, by playing the old cash flow game and not paying this person and not paying that person, principally um, uh, HMRC, to tell the truth, um, because I didn't think they were going to go bust. I tried to pay all of the small local people. Um, and there was one marvellous day, the day of the three bailiffs, when three bailiffs turned up one after the other to, um, to say that chair, 50 quid, and I went, I bought it for 250 pounds. They no, I don't care. I could only get 50 quid for it. Uh, if you don't get me the money, within seven days, we're coming away to take the chair away. And I said, but how am I going to run a restaurant if I don't have any chairs? No, I don't care. Thank you very much. Nice. Uh, and it was a pretty brutal lesson in how cash is absolute reality. You can yeah. win awards as you want. You can... You can spout on about culture and fresh sea bass and all the rest of it. If you haven't got cash, you're dead. Um, and that was a pretty rude lesson. 
I did survive. And the good news is that we survived. I paid them off. Um, I then got planning permission of a function room that's in the garden, uh, knocked that down, converted it into a three-bedroom um, uh, three-bedroom cottage, separated the title deeds out, sold the restaurant for 850 grand, which is what I was in for. So I, uh, I was clean. Thank you very much. And I've now got the um, uh, now got the cottage um, to yeah. show. However, I'm not getting my hair back. No, yeah, no. I feel your pain <laughs> for sure. <Yeah. laughs> um, why why did you do it in the first place, Peter? So you said obviously you, you <coughs> talked about being a change monkey. Were, at that point, was there not enough happening at Rudding? What what was the motivation to yeah to I, go down there? I uh, I thought that uh, I would be more motivated if every pound that was coming into the till was my pound. Um, what I didn't realise was that if you're polishing glasses at midnight, it doesn't matter whose bloody glasses they are, you're still polishing glasses at midnight. And here, I don't even know where the glass polishing machine is. <laughs> so so really, I don't polish glasses here. <laughs> there, I was still polishing glasses at midnight and, and I got bored with it. Um, but I foolishly thought that... I would be more energised. Um, uh, I wasn't. Uh, and and I, I suppose I did it for my own vain glory. I wanted to say, this is mine. Um, I'm very pleased I did it. Um, would I do it again? Yes. Would I do some things differently? Yes. I wouldn't go all in with my own money. Right. I would separate out some of my cash um, because I had every single penny my family's money in it and it was it was extremely stressful mm. what motivates you now so obviously like you said back that you thought that would be a thing that motivated you it being your own thing it being your skin in the game so having like come out the other side and had more experience away from that like what you clearly like you said before you're spinning a lot of plates you're clearly working lengthy days and yeah what what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning that went you know brings you brings you to keep, uh... to keep driving forward um, uh, my team uh, I probably I've, I've worked with some of my team um, golf manager I've worked with him for 21 years hotel manager 21 years uh, revenue person commercial person um, I've worked with her for 14 years um, front office manager she was the second person I ever employed for 25 years uh, greenkeeper 21 years you know I've grown up with these people, and these people have grown up with me, um, and we know each other. I probably know them better than I know my own brother. Um, so they are one of the reasons uh, that I get out of bed in the morning. Uh, another reason is um, professionalism. Uh, I like to know that we've done as good a job as we possibly could do. Um, it's never going to be perfect in hospitality. Um, there is always going to be something left on the table because you could always do something better. Um, but professionalism uh, uh, and uh, and the excitement of change. So you know, we're we're planning just this year. We've got um, uh, we, we've got planning permission in for a combined heat and power plant, which is where we're going to make our own uh, electricity, um, uh, which will save us 200, 
£250,000 a year, but also save the planet. Um, so that's a win-win. Uh, we've got uh, plans in place to fundamentally improve the um, staff facilities uh, and delivery bay and all the rest of it. That'll be a million pound job, but it'll make it into, at the moment, the staff canteen is for the size for 100 people. We've now got 300 people. We desperately need to do something about it. Um, we're working on plans, very exciting plans, for a um, for a country club that um, we're considering. You know, if it works around London, uh, I went to somewhere called Moor Park. I got invited down to play golf down there. If it works at Moor Park, if it works at Fox Hills, if it works at Roehampton Club, if it works at Stoke Park, why wouldn't it work in Harrogate? Um, we've got the same sort of demographic. Um, uh, why isn't there? Why hasn't anybody done anything like that up here? So we're examining the uh, demographics. The demographics are correct. It's the volume of the demographics that I'm concerned about. Mm. Um, do we have sufficient um, A and B one chimney pots to um, to to provide us with two or three thousand members um, for a country club with you know it'll have crash and kids climbing wall and you know all of the rest of it like some tennis uh, we're already working on the golf course to really upgrade the golf course um you know i've got digger man out there now doing stuff uh so uh that's the only that's the only question but we're we're working on the model so that's interesting uh it's that's always really really interesting yeah yeah what uh obviously there's an amazing kind of product at the heart of, of what you do, you know, from a marketing point of view, obviously, you know, that's our, our focus. So I always want to touch on that with people. What, what do you do to drive people through the doors? What's been most successful? What hasn't worked? You know, is there anything you've done that hasn't worked? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of a, of a disagreement with our, not disagreement, midst of a discussion with our marketing manager right now. Um, she would like um, to have a, um, a brand, uh, a brand discussion, whatever it is. I don't know. I, don't know. Uh, I, I, I just cook sausages and make beds. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I understand the importance of a brand. I understand the importance of that brand being the golden thread that runs through every single action that you do. Our problem with that brand is that, that we're really a very broad church and we go from 45 pound pitch nights for when you turn up with your tent and, uh, uh, and, and, and pitch a tent on the holiday all the way through to lodges for 650,000 pounds or, um, or, or marquee events that spend a hundred thousand pounds in one evening and uh and, and, and having one overarching word or brand for for those for that spectrum is is quite tough and i, I guess it's a bit like trying to have an overarching brand for um drinks bad brand that that did tattinger and buckfast um you know, <laughs> you know you're a glass of tat or a glass of bucky fantastic <laughs> Um, uh, 
so so from a marketing perspective we're, we're a little confused and lots of my colleagues have always said uh, it's a little confused however it works it works uh, i think what we have to do is break down each of our products into individual brands and then market each of those brands independently it it's it's a lot more of a chew and it's a lot harder work you know we can't just say volvo your overarching March casino brand is safety, right? Great, happy days. Wouldn't it be good if we could say our overarching market brand is fun, okay? But you can't have a fun funeral. Well, I suppose you could, but but it's unlikely, um, you know, and we do 10 or 15 funerals a, uh, a month. Um, so you, you, you can't have a fun funeral. Um, so, so fun isn't the correct word there. Mm. Um, there may be an argument to say it's something about care, or it's about something about making feel, people feel special. Um, uh, you know, maybe the word care. My mum cares for me. Um, maybe it's about making people feel special. You know, we can make you feel special when you come to funeral. We can make you feel special when you come to conference. We can make you feel special when you come to the um, uh, to the holiday park. We can make you feel special when you come to the spa. Maybe that's it. But but I think at the moment it's about targeting each individual brand. But then brand isn't just about what the pretty logo looks like. That then needs to drip through every single um, activity that um, that you do. So it's how the guest is greeted. It's, it's the use of the word guest rather than the use of the word client or customer. You know, shopkeepers have customers, accountants have clients, we have guests. Um, so it's, it, it's absolutely fundamental. The marketing isn't just about how pretty things look in the nice glossy brochure. Um, actually, marketing is about the glossy brochure all the way through to um, the kitchen porter doing the washing. Yeah, um, you know it's that old story, whether it's true or false or whatever. I don't know. It's that old story about the bloke who was going around NASA headquarters, and the cleaner comes out of the um, uh, of the loo, and, uh, and and I don't know who it was, because it was Barack Obama or someone says to him, um, says to him, "What do you do?" And this cleaner said, "I put them out on the moon." Yeah, um, and it's and it's knowing. It's, it's getting that brand throughout um, yeah. is is key to me. Uh, being being different um, is is very important to us. Um, we need to uh, be brave and be different in our in our marketing, um, and that sometimes means me making a fool of myself. Um, so our marketing team persuaded me to. Um, I can't believe I've been telling you this. Um, persuaded me to do that stupid thing off Love Actually. That I, I saw it, Peter, and I have to say well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I I'll link to it. it. I'll link to it in the in the notes of the show so everyone else can see I, it too. <laughs> um, however, um, had over 180,000 views throughout all of the platforms. So just for me clowning around, doing some seriously bad dad dancing. Um, we um, we got 180,000 people looking yeah. at Rudding Park, um, so you know that was that's that's been a real success. We're starting our Christmas um, 
Christmas thing, uh, not next week, week after, where I'm doing a spin the wheel and we get a telephone number and I'm going to ring somebody up and say, congratulations, you've won! However much right. it is. Um, and then we're donating that, uh, that that equivalent amount of cash to um, to charities. So it's, it's about thinking differently as well. Um, yeah. It's, so for the, the flashy end of marketing, it's about thinking differently um, and and having uh, agreed brand guidelines and all the rest of it, so that the message that's being sent out is consistent. But actually, then brand is much more than that for me. It's about dripping that all the way through. So, you know, that brand is reinforced um, whenever I get an opportunity. You know, if you get a good guest comment, uh, I like to um, uh, to write. Uh, a little thank you note to that member of staff saying thank you very much. Now, HR persuaded me that I was doing it too slowly because um, my admin skills are somewhat challenged. Um, and uh, uh, and wouldn't it be nice if we just had a, a flashy printed piece of paper that just a nice card, it says, wow, thank you very much for loving the guests and all the rest of it, whatever it says, whatever words. And we'll give one of those to the member of staff. And I've just said, I've been fooled into doing that for the last six months. So, but it doesn't have the same impact. Mm. I want to see the comment that the guests have said, so then I can write on there, Dear Tom, thank you for looking after Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They absolutely loved you. You're a star. Yeah. Well, lovely. Um, and then they get a copy. They get that note, and they get the copy of what Mr. and Mrs. Smith have said. And they feel better about themselves. So it's about constantly reaffirming the yeah. um, reaffirmation of good behaviours and actually stopping poor behaviours. So yeah. when you get poor behaviours, when you get somebody providing poor service, make sure that everybody knows that there is only one way out when you yeah. provide a poor service. Yeah, yeah. So it needs to go all the way through. The dad dancing and larking around at the top Oh, and we had another great idea last year. You remember last year when we did all that, um, uh, when there was all that um, uh, nonsense about having to go to bed at 11 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, so, so it was going to absolutely screw up New Year's Eve. So all of my colleagues are going, oh, no, what are we going to do? This is dreadful. New Year's Eve is screwed because we can't do champagne at midnight, all the rest of it. And I thought, tell you what, tell you what. We're going to change time. We're going to have running park time. So when the guests arrived, and I think I'm a bit mad here, we took the clocks two hours back. So at five o'clock, it was actually, no, two hours forward. So at five o'clock, it was actually seven o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and I bought cheapo watches off the internet and gave every guest oh. one of the cheapo watches set to running park time and have back to the future signs and all of the rest of it. And um, and so we actually were able to celebrate New Year's Eve. Well, we weren't because the government stopped us, but we pulled it forward a day and did it on the 30th of December. Yeah. So we did it. We had pipers, we had bands, you know, all of the rest of it. Um, because New Year's Eve running park time was 10 o'clock real time. So we were still legally correct, but all the guests could actually order champagne and have running part time. 
Yeah, so that's yeah. what I mean about being different. And then, of course, marketing got me to dress up as Doc Brown. You can check this one out. They <laughs> got me to check, get, dress up as Doc Brown, climb out of the window on the sales roof and clamber around next, <laughs> next to the big clock that we've got on top of the clock there, pretending to be Doc Brown off Back to the Future. Very um, nice. So, that's another example of, of original thought. Yeah, yeah, like it. I think with the um, yeah the brand stuff you're talking about, Peter. I you know my, I guess my experience as a as a guest is that it does feel like that comes. You're right. A lot of people take it from the top up of like work out what your logo is and then try and make that somehow filter down. Whereas with you, I would say it's definitely it's the feeling of being there. And then yeah, you know, if anything, the outward bit could accentuate that even more but it's it's uh you know the I, I agree with you that that's the right way to do it it should be the thing that everyone feels that kind of gets morphed into a look and a and a a feel to the outward to the outward world um yeah and, yeah, and some blokes some sense. blokes just quoted me twelve thousand pounds um for uh for, for doing this this project well grand blimey you know ten percent at ten percent i need to turn over which is you know Rough profit. Uh, I need to turn over one hundred twenty thousand pounds. That's twelve weddings. Yeah, for probably just slightly changing the tint of purple you use, and then that'll be that. <laughs> um, anyway, not marketing, uh, marketing uh, specialists, but um, it, it's it's a big problem. There are easier hotels to brand than the. Um, tell tell me uh, your thoughts on the the trip advisors of this world and like reputation reviews kind of staying on top of that that side of things do you do anything overtly to to help that is there anything active that's happening there have you had any good bad experiences with it yeah trip advisors are um uh a real real issue uh we've won trip advisor best hotel in the uk i think it was 2008 2009 2011 and 2013 um, and in the old days, 2008-2009, um, TripAdvisor used to be um, the people who won, and it was done, and I contacted them, um, because I'm under no illusions. We're, we're a good hotel, but I'm not under, I'm under no illusions that we're the best hotel in the UK. Um, you know, because we don't get the sort of money that the Savoy or the Dorchester or Claridge's do. You know, they're getting £800 a night average rate you know, I'm getting 200 quid a night average rate. They can throw four times as many staff at the problem as I can. Um, so uh, so I thought, okay, fine. Um, I thought, well, what are the rules? Um, so I rang TripAdvisor up and I said to them, look, how do you work out who's the, who's the, the best? And they said, it's, uh, it's simple. It's about volume of, of, uh, of reviews it's about quality of reviews and it's about immediacy of reviews. And there's an algorithm that takes those three elements and puts them together. So I thought, great, all we need to do is encourage people to write reviews. And of course, for TripAdvisor, that's exactly what they wanted at that time because they weren't owned by Expedia then. They were privately owned, separately owned. And um, they wanted to build up their, um, their volume of of users, because as we all know, um, data is is power and worth. Um, then there's the quality of the reviews. So obviously they need to be high quality and the immediacy is 
so that it's not just a, a one-off, it's, you know, constant. So we then encouraged guests to write um, reviews, um, and I didn't encourage guests to write reviews um, for the hotel, I encouraged guests to write reviews for the, for the poor downtrodden staff, because they love seeing their name in lights. Um, so we got qual quantity of reviews, quality of reviews is all about doing a good job while you're here, um, and, and quality is, isn't just about encouraging lots of good ones, it's about keeping the negative ones off. So that means we needed a good system here for whenever there was the slightest problem, jump on it, sort the guest out, check they're happy, and they go away happy and don't slag you off on TripAdvisor. Sounds pretty obvious, but that was the way to improve the quality of our reviews. And what the kind of things was that? Was that a here's a voucher to come in if something's gone wrong, come back and stay, or was it just was it just attention? Yeah, attention. Um, and and if it wasn't right, if the stake isn't correct, don't charge them for it. I, I never want to take money from people who are disappointed with the product. You know, I, I, I'd rather say, please, we got it wrong, because we don't get it right all the time. Mm. You, you're never going to get it right all the time in this game. With half a million people through the doors, five million touches, I am never, ever, ever going to get it hundred percent. Just I've just got to try to lessen the chance of there being a mistake. Um, uh, and then the immediacy was once again giving out cards, please do this. So when TripAdvisor was an independent company <clears throat> um, and was a review site, uh, I uh, we won. Um, it then got bought by Expedia and um, I think it was Expedia. Anyway, it got bought. I'm pretty sure it was bought. Um, it got bought and um, all of a sudden you couldn't talk to anyone. Uh, they weren't working on this algorithm because I looked at everybody else's algorithm and proved that actually everybody else's volume, quality, et cetera, et cetera, and proved that actually we should have beaten these people. So I then contacted TripAdvisor and said, come on, chaps, you're not playing by your own rules. And they said, oh, well, that's not the rules anymore. It's now, <laughs> it's now all about the words that he used. I said, fine, can you tell me what words they are used? And, and we can, you know, see if I can do well. No. Because uh, ultimately now, TripAdvisor are, uh, they're not a review site anymore. They're now an online travel agent. Mm. Uh, because uh, we now have to bid on TripAdvisor against um, Booking.com, etc., etc., to get referred, um, they are another OTA um, yeah. dressed up as a review site. Uh, so, but once again, we need to just continue to manage it well. Um, we need to continue to get as many positive comments uh, as we possibly can, and we need to look after the guests internally so that we get as few negative comments yeah. uh, uh, as you can. Um, we'll never win again because we don't spend enough money with them. Yeah, right. Um, because all of virtually all of my bookings come direct. Yeah. So I've accepted we'll never win TripAdvisor again because they're only going to get people who win who give them money. Yeah. Logical. If I was yeah. there, that's exactly what I'd do. I wouldn't give it to some cocky idiot like me. <laughs> I'd give it to somebody who lines the pocket. It'd be, it'd be turkey voting for Christmas if yeah. they gave me the award. Indeed. Indeed. There you go. 
Um, but they are a sort of Damocles. But what they're great at doing, fantastic at doing, is it has leveled the playing field. Um, previously, all the big companies, your, your Marriott's, your Q's, your Hilton's, your whatever, they had marketing budgets running to the millions uh, and they could, um, they could absolutely crucify me uh, with their marketing budget. Uh, the uh, TripAdvisor has leveled that playing field. Uh, yeah, yeah. And made, uh, little independents like, uh, like us um, uh, as powerful as your Marriott's. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So they're, they're good, but they are a sort of down. Yeah. So the times times flown, Peter. So I I want to I'll, I'll start trying to land land the plane, as it were. Um, last couple of questions. Um, are there any other kind of businesses, either you know, in travel, tourism, hospitality, or or elsewhere that you admire, that you you know, kind of get inspired by? Is there anyone you'd kind of shine a light on there? Um, uh... Or the, people, even it might be uh, the pig hotels. Um, Robin Hudson really gets the zeitgeist. Um, he got it with Hotel Laverne, and he's got it with the pig. Um, he really, really understands what um, what uh, the British public um, want. Uh, he's he's always got his. He, he has natural talent understand um, what they want so he's very good um, and uh, his uh, his uh, hotels are good uh, uh, other good businesses um, I don't know really I haven't thought of one uh, uh, it, it's really it's really it's really anybody who fundamentally understands what their guest or customer wants. Um, so um, there's a uh, there's a law firm called Blacks that we work with in uh, in Leeds, and they have the uh, incredible uh, skill. They they do our employment law, uh, and um, the partner we work with there was two blokes, um, uh, Tom and Chris, and they have that incredible skill, which I think is really, really important for a lawyer, for an employment lawyer, it's very important, of making me feel comfortable, making me feel safe. Whenever I call an employment lawyer, it's because I'm absolutely worrying myself senseless, and they make me feel safe. So, so they do a good job. Yeah, yeah, nice. And then last one, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking of maybe starting a business in general, maybe setting up a hotel, maybe just someone starting out in, in hospitality from your experience, from, from the lessons you've learned, what would you, what advice would you give? Um, uh, starting out in hospitality, uh, accept that um, the first 10 years are going to be bloody hard work, uh, or actually it's always going to be bloody hard work, um, but the first 10 years will be um, will be tough. Uh, accept that if you um, if you love your staff, look after your guests, care for your guests, and watch the pennies. Actually, it can be a really good career. Uh, you can actually 
and make a real success of it. But you've got to work hard. There's no, you know, I've, my eldest son is 25, and I've only ever spent one full Christmas day with him. Um, that's how dedicated you have to be to this business. Uh, if you're setting up your own business, um, uh, always keep a bit of your own bit of the cash. If you're selling your house to, to buy a hotel, um, always make sure you've separated some of it so the bank manager can't get his hands on your on your family house um, and leave you stressing about some, about whether your family are going to have a roof over their heads. Um, that would be uh, some, uh, some fundamental advice. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Um, uh, and, yeah, and ultimately, uh, if you're going into hospitality, um, enjoy it. And, and also, no matter... We, we can become incredibly cynical in hospitality. Apart from police officers, um, we probably see the worst side of human nature. Uh, you know, I've been, somebody's tried to stab me and I've held him down um, because he was so drunk and I had to hold him down until, um, uh, until um, the police turned up uh, and he spat in my face and threatened to cut my kids' faces off and all the rest of it. I mean, horrendous. Um, you know, some of the behaviour we've seen already this Christmas uh, is 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 dreadful. I mean, it's not the British public to, to behave atrociously. <laughs> um, uh, but what you mustn't do... These is, are the ones in the luxury hotel as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, but what you mustn't do is... Um, you mustn't... Put, and, and then the staff, some staff will always let you down. There'll always be somebody who... Who, who steals or lies or whatever it is. But what you mustn't do is you mustn't lose your essential faith in humanity. Um, if you lose your essential faith in humanity, that way lies madness. That way lies absolute cynicism. That way lies not trusting people. That way lies being negative and you can't love your team and care for your guests if don't have an essential trust in humanity. No matter how many times you are disappointed, you have to climb back yeah. on the bike. Yeah. And if you do those two things, then actually um, the money will look after itself. Um, the uh, um, I forget which England coach it was. I think it was Stuart Lancaster said, "If we get the basics right, the score will look after itself." Yeah. And Love it. That's what it's all about. Fantastic. Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Tell us tell us where people can find Rudding, website, URL, anything else you want to share in, in terms um, of that. Oh dear, that's a bit of a difficult <laughs> I have to ring the marketing where person. Are we yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, just at ruddingpark.com, aren't we, I think? Ruddingpark.com. Yeah. Uh, oh, .co.uk, sorry. Ruddingpark.co.uk. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, we're, uh, yeah. uh, we're here in between Harrogate and Leeds. Um, 90 bedrooms, 15 different size conference banks and rooms, a couple of golf courses, uh, a super duper spa, uh, holiday park which does from 10 through to 650,000 pound lodges. Um, and we try. I can vouch for it being a, a super place uh, to have a good time. So, yeah. Love it. Thanks, Peter. Really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Great. I'll uh, I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Look me up when you're here and we'll have a cup of tea. 
Will do. Love to. Thanks for your time. Cheerio. Bye. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that one and enjoyed hearing from Peter as much as I did talking to him. I found the insight that he gave around building culture and strong teams absolutely fascinating and I took plenty away from that that I'm going to implement here at SEO Travel. You can find Peter on LinkedIn and follow all of Running's social channels for wider updates on what's happening there and hopefully you'll see more of Peter's dance moves in the future as well. I've linked to that one in the show notes that he mentioned from the Love Actuary spoof that they did which is well worth a watch. There's also loads of other resources in the show notes that I'm sure you'll find super helpful, things like the Pig Hotel that, that Peter mentioned, uh, so go and check that out when you've got a second. All the show notes and links are at seotravel.co.uk forward slash Peter hyphen banks, that's P-E-T-E-R hyphen B-A-N-K-S. And you can also watch the video of the conversation there uh, and you can visit seotravel.co.uk forward slash podcast for all the other episodes so far where you can get lots of other insight too. If you're a hotel or a travel company looking for marketing support from people who really care about your success, then please do get in touch at seotravel.co.uk and we'd love to hear from you. You can also read more about our 100% initiative there, which outlines how we give all the profit we make from the business to educational charities, both at home and around the world. We'd love your support in spreading the word so we can help those charities as much as we possibly can. If you enjoyed the show, it'd be fantastic if you could leave us a review on iTunes and share what your favorite bits were. Subscribe to the show and it'd be amazing if you could share it with at least one person who you think would benefit from this episode and the insight that Peter offered. If you haven't already, give the other episodes a listen. We've had some amazing stories and guests on season one and the season two so far, and there's lots more to come in the rest of the season. So if you subscribe, you'll get notified when we release new episodes to be one step ahead of the game. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate all your support. Thanks for following along. And until next time, happy travels. Happy travels.